Welcome to the Flood Church Sermon Podcast, where we bring you sermons from our teaching team at Flood Church, Lilongwe, Malawi. For more information, you can go to floodchurch.com. Well, good morning, Flood Church. My name is Renata Walton, and I'm married with four children. I'm an ordained minister with the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, and I work here in Lilongwe with an orphan care organization, not orphanage, orphan care. And I'm a member of the oversight team here at the church, and I'll bring you the word this morning. Let's pray and ask God to give us ears to hear. Lord, thank you for this day you've given us. Thank you that we have breath in our lungs to come and worship you this morning, Lord. We ask that you would give us understanding into your word this morning and that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church. I pray for every need that's represented here, Lord, and as we lay it before you this morning, we trust you with those things and we ask for your grace and your mercy in each of our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So we're talking about the book of Nehemiah. I tried very hard to stay away from anything political within this sermon. I have to fly to Canada next week on 26 August. Uh, Pray for me. We thank God. We did some uh, fancy footwork and I managed to change my flight, but I was really interested in some of the tones of this passage within our current um, climate here, which I'm not going to get into, but I'll let you ruminate on that. So each of us present have a lot of issues in our lives, things that we need to sort out before the Lord, things in our lives that we can do better, try harder, parts of our lives that need attention, careful, thoughtful work. We can decide, and we often decide to neglect them and put them aside and ignore them, but sometimes we can do something about them, and God in his grace continues to beckon us toward those things, to make changes and to follow him closer. So this is our third week as a congregation studying the book of Nehemiah. Our series is called Out of the Ruins. So let's stand together and read the passage this morning, which is Nehemiah 2, verses 11 to 20. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, 
Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat to the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. So earlier in the chapter, as Pastor Humphreys shared with us last week, Nehemiah had been granted permission by King Artaxerxes to take this very long journey from Persia to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the walls which had been destroyed. The king has given Nehemiah an armed escort as well as the resources that he will need to work on the project. Thank you, Harry. He is full of vigor and fervor from the Lord to do this project and to see it to its completion. Now just consider for one moment that Nehemiah was not born in Jerusalem. In fact, he'd never even been born somewhere in Judah. He's actually never physically even been to Israel herself. Yet deep within him, his identity is completely tied to this place. Within his heart, he's bonded to Israel. He's never seen this homeland, yet even the great Persian king has seen the sadness in Nehemiah's heart over the current state of affairs in Israel, the brokenness, the desolation, and the destruction. So in our own lives, how do we get out of the ruins? How do we rebuild something that has been totally destroyed? How can our lives be built for God, by God, when there just seems to be insurmountable destruction and waste before us? Is it possible to navigate the broken pieces and the charred walls within ourselves? Within our own unique situations, how can we possibly rebuild these things that have been destroyed? And I want to suggest to you this morning that it's possible to do this through a reality check, through actually understanding the circumstances exactly as they are and not as we wish they would be. As the teaching team, we're always encouraged to share our personal stories with you and to share how the passage has impacted us personally. And this one, I kind of wrestled with God on even up till the last song. <laughs> uh, but I do, I want to share some ruins in our lives that we've been facing over the last 10 months or so. So the last time when I preached with you on uh, in May, um, I shared that uh, we still have our house in Canada. And on 7 October last year, it was destroyed by a fire. And the people that were living there had just, uh, had, Thankfully, they had all gotten out safely, but the house itself had been destroyed. And uh, Jeff and I really struggled through that period of time thinking, God, how could this happen? What are we going to do? We don't have the money to fix it. Uh, we're so far away. All of the questions that um, face you in a crisis. And then four days later, we found out we were expecting a new baby. And God in his grace had brought this joy in the midst of, of that struggle. And so we started to navigate the, the issue with the fire while also celebrating within ourselves the, the new blessing that God was going to bring to our family. 
And uh, we listened to that Michael W. Smith version of this is how I fight my battles over and over. I used a lot of data on my phone just watching that video, like pressing in. And uh, little by little, we just started to take the necessary steps to fix the problem with the house. And God was faithful. And uh, we were getting towards the middle of November, and we were planning a big baby announcement for the beginning of December, Christmas-themed. If you come to our Christmas party, you'll know I love Christmas. <laughs> and so we went for the ultrasound just to see how things were progressing. And the doctor said, things are not progressing. And I thought, well, obviously it's just the machine because, you know, these machines get all kinds of problems and you just can't really be sure. So let's try this clinic and that doctor and this clinic and that doctor. And maybe we'll even consider I should go to Canada just to be sure. And every ultrasound machine that we went to had the same answer. Now, some of you are feeling very uncomfortable because I know it's, it's taboo to talk about this, but the ruins of our lives are uncomfortable and they make us feel awkward. And like I said, I bargained with the Lord over this and he put his finger on it. So. And so as a woman of faith and together with our growth group, we shared the situation and prayed a lot of prayers of faith and still we didn't get the answer that we had been hoping for. And uh, I was admitted here in the hospital, and it was pretty difficult on our family. But every single day, people from this church were with us. God didn't answer the way that we wanted him to. But he was right there every second and every minute. He's faithful. Even when we face those battles and those ruins and something that's been totally destroyed because after four normal, fine, healthy pregnancies, I was expecting nothing else. But very, very closely we walked with our growth group, and with our pastor, the church was with us. I don't want you to wonder today, what did I do to cause that to happen? It was just, it was just a thing that happened. So let's look at this passage and see the ruins that Nehemiah is facing and how, what kind of insight we can gain ourselves to really understand the rebuilding process. Nehemiah knew what he was up against, but he trusted God more than what he had heard about. So he makes this journey, and it's about 1,200 kilometers by donkey and by foot, and it probably would have taken about three months to get there, if you can imagine. When he finally arrives, verse 11 tells us he spends three days before doing any inspecting. And the scripture doesn't tell us what he was doing, but there were, all, you know, that time, cultural pleasantries. He couldn't just arrive and start his work right away, Right? He had to come and visit and rest. We can also imagine, you know, a long rest from the, from the journey and experiencing for the very first time he was in his homeland of Israel, this place he had dreamed about and thought about and wept over all these years. 
So let's look at verse 12. He begins the task that he has come to do. My first point is that he begins a careful inspection. So he's here to take a very accurate and strategic account of the situation. And in the ruins of our own lives, we too can, number one, make a strategic plan. When you're looking at the ruins of your life, make a strategic plan. Nehemiah doesn't simply arrive unprepared but with a good heart. He comes with plans that are purposeful and intentional. We are uh, just about finished our fifth year of living in Malawi. And I'm, we have had the, the joy and sometimes the struggle of meeting people who are here to do missions. And they don't always come with a plan. And they don't always come with a good idea. And I feel like we have to do better. My friends here deserve better than that. We have to come with something intentional as well when we're sort of rebuilding our lives and coming out of the ruins. Number two, Nehemiah, he avoids fanfare. He doesn't go out in great gusto and glory in the bright morning sun, but he does it quietly so he can see things for himself without distraction. And the same is for us. When you're rebuilding, avoid great fanfare in your efforts. All of us have seen someone on their WhatsApp status that posts something like, I am going to lose 20 kilos by the end of this month. And then you see them. <laughs> That's an extreme exaggeration, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Do it quietly, carefully, strategically. Don't bring attention to yourself and your plans, but go about it with diligence and with strategy. Allow the Lord to use darkness and quiet to speak about your situation. Number three, Nehemiah, he finds trusted friends. Verse 12 says that he and a few men went together to view the destruction. This is not because he didn't have enough people. You remember he was escorted by a fully armed guard from the king. It's not about loneliness, and it's not about safety. But when it's time for the first mission to actually see the destruction, he chooses a few to join him. And I think in wisdom, we can do the same thing. Like I just shared the journey that Jeff and I walked through. We didn't share it with everyone, but we certainly shared it with our growth group. And when you're in the deep trenches of your own rubble, you do need friends. You need trusted friends. You need people who can journey with you, who can keep you accountable, who can view the situation from another angle. So I just want to draw your attention to that board over in the corner. Raphael, can you give us a just point at the growth group board? If you haven't yet joined a growth group, <laughs> today is your day. And God will help you through those people, as he did with Jeff and I, and I know with my other fellow members here this morning. Number four, be modest in your effort and count the cost of your attempt. For the survey of the destruction of the walls, Nehemiah only took one animal. So he was riding on one type of donkey or horse and only a few friends. And so I want to encourage you, when you yourself are ready to rebuild a situation or you're facing something that's been destroyed, or even if you're helping someone, be humble about it. You're not better than anyone else, and neither are you more deserving than anyone else. If you humble yourself before God, he will help you. Use the means that you have at your disposal. Be diligent with the opportunities that you're given. We, we struggle because we think, 
if I could only have these resources, then I'd be able to face that battle. And instead, I'm just going to keep it at the side. But you, you do have what you need, at least to start. And if you don't think you do, you can talk to any oversight team member. Just give us a wave if you're one of the oversight team members. We are here to help you, okay? Amen. Number five, Nehemiah expected the hard work. A careful inspection of the situation helped him to realize this task is not going to be easy. It's not going to be simple. And when you are rebuilding and facing destruction in your own life, just reconcile yourself to the fact it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard work. There are no quick solutions. Easy fixes usually lead to problems. It takes dedicated effort and intentional duty. So I encourage you, be ready. Number six, you will need to release your ignorance. Now, consider Nehemiah, who grew up in a land far away as a foreigner. He'd heard about Jerusalem. He'd known about the destruction, but never actually had to face it for himself. And instead, he's working in a palace, surrounded by luxury, tasting wine every meal of the day, enjoying royal entertainment, meat, so much meat, and other delicious food. And yeah, I mean, he was a servant, but certainly his environment was one of comfort and ease. And it would have been pretty easy just to forget about the ugliness of destruction while inside a palace of beauty. And you might have a similar situation in your own life. It could be a family member or someone else who lives far away, and it's easy to ignore what's happening to them. And I just want to encourage you, take a careful inspection and stop ignoring some of those things that are actually happening. The next point, after his careful inspection, Nehemiah makes a concerned estimation. Let's read verse 16 together. Just open up verse 16. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. He has been careful with his inspection. And now it's actually time for the reality check. He's taken the time to see the situation on the ground. But he's careful not to tell them what he, what he has yet done. But just consider, these people have been staying in that rubble for a while. You know, when something in your house breaks, you kind of get used to it not operating. We have a toilet like that in our house. Jeff is a licensed plumber, people. And this one toilet, it drives me nuts because it doesn't work properly, but you, we just get used to it, right? You move around it, you, you jiggle the handle so it does start to work properly, you pour water in the back, you know, whatever. So Nehemiah makes his inspection knowing full well that there are people who have become quite comfortable in that setting. They've managed to kind of move around the broken pieces and things that are valuable, make sure they're stowed away since the wall has been destroyed. So you might have the opportunity to help someone rebuild, the, rebuild their lives. And it's really important that, number one, explain the truth in love. And I think Nehemiah was very intentional about this. And instead of going ahead with his own judgment and blasting the people for, their, for the ways that they're living, he's very careful about how he presents this to them. He doesn't say, how could you be living in a house with a broken toilet when you have a licensed plumber? He does research. He's very careful. He does the background work. Jeff is in 11 plus today. <laughs> 
and uh, <laughs> he'll listen to this later. <laughs> In addition, number two, he helped the Jews to embrace difficult realities. I mean, their situation was quite stark. While they were comfortable in it, they actually needed someone who was going to care enough to lay it all down and to say it like it is. I know this is so difficult when you want to help someone confront their own mess because it's really easy to see from the outside. Well, obviously, you just need to do one, two, three, and then it will be fixed. But we can lovingly guide them there. But he, so Nehemiah does his work prior to talking to them, and then he gently speaks at them. But at the same time, number three, he exercises discretion. He doesn't approach them with a stampede of horses or a loud declaration, but he uses prudent, careful research ahead of time, and he's able to be gentle, discreet, when it came time for confrontation about rebuilding. Number four, Nehemiah led by example. Let's read verse 18. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. By sharing his own testimony about how he'd ended up in Jerusalem, his example of faith and provision was an encouragement. He took a big step in a new direction and, to, and re was reminding the Jews that God had not forsaken them, even though they were surrounded by what looked like broken promises but was actually a result of disobedience. God was still faithful to the covenant. When you have to confront someone, lead them by your own example and explain what God has done in your life and how he has never failed. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about how he saved you, about how he found you, about his faithfulness, about his provision, about his constant abiding presence. That's so encouraging. Number five, when we help others to rebuild their lives or even when we're doing it for ourselves, we have to face the weaknesses. It's not always helpful to say, don't worry, you will be fine. Or that cliche, everything happens for a reason. <laughs> There's this book. This is, a, this is for free. There's a book called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. <laughs> Find it. It's very interesting because that's a phrase that has entered our Christian vocabulary, which has no biblical basis. <laughs> But Nehemiah is very clear. Things don't really look that great. The city is desolate. The walls have been destroyed. The gates are burned by fire. And the people really are a disgrace. It's not encouraging. But it is truthful. And sometimes it takes someone actually showing you the truth or you sharing it with someone else to actually begin that process. Because, again, you get used to living with a broken toilet for a long time, like five years. But God had sent someone to help these Jews. And, I mean, the weakness is there. If you ignore it, it's still going to be there. But let's admit it and start moving forward with healing. Number six, in addition to facing weaknesses, Nehemiah also helps them acknowledge the ugliness. So these people were belonged to God, called by him, chosen by him, but they had rejected him when they went their own way. And so in their disobedience, they lost their independence and their reliance on God and had all but disappeared. The walls were totally destroyed. The gates were completely burned by fire. This is the reality they're facing. And sometimes it can be really easy to ignore the ugly situations in our lives. 
and sometimes someone else has to help us see them. Like when we have our Christmas Eve party and we have to close one of the toilets <laughs> because it's not working. <laughs> if any of you know a plumber, I would love to have the phone number. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when you're helping someone else in a situation, you don't always have to be shy about the ugliness, right? Because they may not see it themselves or they've watched it for so long it starts to look familiar. But be gentle, be kind, do it with love. But as believers, when we see our friends stuck in habits and patterns that are destructive, we have to kindly share why it's not going to serve them well in the long term. My last point is a critical mobilization. So Nehemiah gives us an example of critical mobilization. So these are points for people who are rebuilding themselves as well as for those who are helping others. Number one, share words of life. Without downplaying the reality on the ground, Nehemiah also encouraged them. He reminded them of who God is, how he has been faithful. When we're facing our own destruction, words of life are so healing. When I was admitted in the hospital last November during that time, um, my good friend Deanna from my growth group had written a bunch of scriptures and encouraging verses, and she just put them in a little, like one of those Ziploc or zip, zip, zip tenji things. And she said, I just gave this to you to encourage you. And, you know, just reading one verse after another was so encouraging. Proverbs 25.11 in the message says, that the right word at the right time is like a custom-made piece of jewelry. It fits just right. It builds up. Words of life can care for and bring hope and share joy for both giver and receiver. Number two, Nehemiah encouraged with his own personal experience. He had seen what God has done in his own life, and that was a reminder to the people living in the ruins that God had not forsaken them. Now, some of us are young here, and I've heard people say they don't feel they have a testimony. Well, you're here, aren't you? God has brought you this far. You have a testimony, and don't let anyone tell you that you don't. And it, sure, maybe you didn't, you know, fall out of an airplane and get healed, but something God has done in your life, you can mention it, and it will be encouraging. Like Kelvin. Kelvin has a powerful testimony about that. Not the airplane, but <laughs> so Nehemiah gives his testimony and the people agree all right let us arise and build let us stand up let us get ourselves up out of this rubble and gain some perspective to see what's actually going on and build number three Nehemiah reminded them of God's presence he is never far <coughs> Jeff climbs Bunda Mountain every time we have visitors come and uh, it's been like three times in the last two months. <laughs> and uh, he went yesterday. There were a lot of people up there and praying and worshiping and being close to God's presence. And I had a friend who told me, well, I went to the mountain and I prayed a specific prayer and it, it got answered after I went to the mountain. So I've been having theological discussions about this with various pastors in Lilongwe because I want to know what does that mean. But his presence is never far. It's here with us. 
He's never left. He's always been faithful. He's always near. Someone needs to hear today that you are not alone. Even in the broken and the insurmountable and what looks to be destroyed, God is right there. Even if you did it because of your own disobedience, he's never left you. The Israelites were in these ruins because they had disobeyed, but still he never forsook them. So yes, our disobedience can take us away from him, but he is always present. It's our own actions that move us away from God. He doesn't move. Oh, Beatrice, she's shaking her head at me. <laughs> more, more, Lord. <laughs> you can never increase his love for you, and certainly you can never decrease it. It's always the same. Number four, stand firm under the pressure. Nehemiah was mocked and hated by Sanballat and Tobiah. Their cutting words were meant to bring him to a place of discouragement and despair. The process of rebuilding, it's not an easy one. It's not a simple step that you can take and think that everyone will be happy for you and that everyone will just want to see you succeed. That's not true, right? There will likely be opposition. There will probably be resistance, and there probably will be difficulty. But you can, say, you can stay strong. Stand firm with what the Lord has called you to do. Number five, look forward to success. Now, this is not a prosperity gospel message. And this is the time where I run up and down the aisle. <laughs> but it is a gospel message. Nehemiah was very sure that God would help him be successful. Now, let me remind us that we understand success with our own frail, human, sinful mind. And God's understanding of success may be different than what we perceive it's going to be. And it's important for us to know that. But Nehemiah's faith was confident in this unchanging God. He stood before what seemed to be an unconquerable mountain, but he was very sure in what was to come. And I want to encourage you that when you stand before the rubble in your own lives, when you're caught between the ruins, the scripture tells us that he couldn't even get through it with his horse. That's how bad it was. They couldn't even walk through it. So when you're in that situation that you feel like you can't even move, when things are so difficult, be confident about who you are in Christ. And lastly, number six, be committed to your duty. Now, this is where many of us fall short, where we fall victim to the cares of this world. Sometimes we start building the broken things in our lives and we get distracted. Something else is shiny and looks interesting. Someone else is very pretty. <laughs> Someone else is very handsome, and you get distracted. And before we know it, things are ruined yet again. But Nia reminds the naysayers in front of him that the work was going to begin. The rebuilding, it does take time. It's not an overnight process. It's little by little, and it's slowly by slowly. So we get out of the ruins of our lives by actually having a reality check to look at how the things before us really are. What is facing us? We have to see things realistically, right? It's easier to think about going from broken to whole, from darkness to light, from torn down to rebuilt, but it doesn't happen overnight. And as I mentioned, sometimes a quick rebuild can mean soon destruction later on. 
the community where I work is Kauma, which is sort of across from Area 12. And you'll see houses that were not there one day, and then like a week later, there's a house. You think, wow, that happened really fast. And then the rains come. And they don't always necessarily survive. So I want to close with some questions. Well, one question. What is it that you are facing that needs rebuilding? Is it a relationship? Is it a marriage? Maybe it's an educational path. Is it your relationship with Christ? Is it your self-image? Is it your own sexual purity? Whatever the ruin you're facing today, I want to say that Christ is near, that he is very close to you in your brokenness. And we have places in our lives that are in ruins. I sh I've been sharing this testimony. I'm, I ha the reason I have to go to Canada next week is to see what's happened now at the house. And, you know, I already have a lot of emotions about what that's going to be like facing it by myself, without Jeff, and trying to make decisions going forward. But it needs to be faced. So we can keep ignoring broken things or we can do something about them. Pastor Humphreys, as you know, guides the teaching team and he, uh, he's the one who lays everything out for us so that we know where we're going. He doesn't give us a script, don't worry. <laughs> but he gives us the passage and the theme. And he, he shared this really unique insight that I just thought was so helpful and I didn't want to claim it for my own <laughs> in the teaching team. He said, unless God changes hearts, there is no building that can change people. Buildings do not change people. Good governance does not change people. A good economy does not change people. It's only Jesus who can transform hearts. Sometimes in our brokenness, we have a tendency to think, if I can just get a house, then I won't have to worry about where I'm going to sleep. Or if I can just go to school, then I'll be educated and get a good job. If I can just get married, I'll stop being tempted in other ways. But it's Jesus who transforms the heart. It's not any of these other external situations. And if we're going to get out of the ruins, we need to confront the truth and ask Jesus himself to transform what's in here. I shared with you about the house the last time that I was, I was so upset. And I said, God, how could you let this happen? This thing that we bought, you know, 10 or more years ago now is destroyed. How could you let us lose it? And very clearly he said, you didn't lose it. You laid it down. So I want you to think about the broken thing in your life and consider coming up for prayer today and laying it down before the Lord. Because he wants to rebuild it. He's waiting here with his open hands to help you. Let's pray. Father, you are good, and we trust you, and we love you. Lord, we need your presence near to us every single day. And as we ask ourselves this question, what is it that needs rebuilding in my life? Lord, I pray that you would, by your gentle Holy Spirit, whisper to every ear that needs to hear this morning. Thank you for the ways that you guide us and lead us into your truth. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name.
Thanks for listening to the Flood Church Sermon Podcast. Please send us your feedback by commenting below or by emailing floodlilongwe at gmail.com.